Today's Transmissions podcast is brought to you by 80stees.com. 80stees.com has an incredible selection of Transformers shirts and hoodies, including some amazing Transformers costume hoodies. Transform into Grimlock, Megatron, or even Optimus Prime with the 80stees.com costume hoodies. Transmissions is now sponsored by Transformerland.com. Hey, Daryl. Yeah, buddy. Do you know how many missiles my G1 Hound should come with? Um, three. Why? Uh, I've only got one with mine. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was three, but let me just bring up Transformerland.com and take a look at their toy guide to be sure. Uh, yeah, there it is. Three. Dang it. Do you know where I can get the other missiles? Yeah, for sure. I'm looking at it right here. It's uh, Transformerland.com. It has an unbelievable collection of G1 parts, figures, to suit whatever you would need. Plus, if you don't see it displayed on the site, you could always ask them through their request an item service. That seems pretty simple. Yeah, plus, it, when you get finished cl- completing the Hound, uh, you could use their handy price guide feature to figure out exactly how much it's worth. Cool, that's something I, I'd totally do. Now let me just bookmark the site, because I, I think I'm going to be coming back there a lot. For sure, it's a great resource with fast and friendly service. I honestly can't recommend Transformerland.com enough. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Transmissions Podcast, where we talk about all the news in toys, comic books, and everything else related to the Transformers. On this very special episode of Transmissions, it's our pleasure to bring to you Mr. Aaron Archer. We discuss all the different aspects of what goes into making a mainline Transformer figure and what might the future hold for the brand. Also, do you think I had the balls to ask him about third party? We'll find out. So grab your nearest figure, check it for GPS, and wipe your face with a napkin of revelation. We're about to start Transmissions. Welcome to Transmissions, the podcast that desperately wants an Archer bot. I'm your host, Charles, a.k.a. Big C, and I'm joined by the excellent Transmissions team. Yusuf, better known as Yoshi? Oh, he's not here tonight, but uh, we'll carry on without him. Jeremy, a.k.a. Yakko. Hey, I showed up for work. (laughs) And Daryl, the Cybertronian Beast. Hey, Hey, everybody, how's it going? Let's talk Transformers. All right, and we've got a special guest tonight that we're talking to. So, Daryl, why don't you introduce who you've brought with us tonight? Yeah, our guest tonight needs no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, He's been part of the Transformers for the last 15 years or so, and if you bought a toy off the store shelves during that time, his fingerprints were on it somewhere. He's also been involved in the TV shows, movies, video games. It's my great pleasure to welcome Mr. Aaron Archer to the show. Hey, everybody. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for joining us tonight. Welcome. No problem. All right, so we got some questions for you. <laughs> First off, um, basically, who are you, uh, and uh, what was your involvement with the Transformers and Hasbro? Yeah, I'm uh, Aaron Archer, and over about a 13-and-a-half-year period, I touched Transformers uh, as a toy line quite a bit, starting at Beast Wars, and... Uh, Worked my way up to VP in charge of all kinds of stuff and uh, had a lot of fun doing it. Nice. That's cool. Um, were you a Transformers fan 
before you started working at Hasbro? I was. I mean, I grew up right in that sweet spot of the early '80s, where all mm-hmm. that all that GI Joe and Transformers were both uh, huge. Um, I was squarely a Hasbro kid. I didn't have too much of the other brands, um, nice. so I was definitely GI Joe, probably more so than Transformers at the time. But uh, they were so intertwined. Uh, I definitely was a Transformer fan as well. Nice. So you you had a, a fairly significant little collection as a as a kid. Yeah, I ended up with a, a lot of the G one guys. I was at the right age to have an Optimus and a Starscream and uh, Gears and different different guys. I had both both of the bands, which yeah. I thought was great. Um, not so much, but uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I always tell people that my. Uh, mother shopped late so we always got the weird odd toys that no one else really wanted so um it definitely colored a lot of my thinking <laughs> i think would would you have had a favorite toy as a kid like one of the uh one of the figures that you would have liked to always played with all the time uh well perceptor i was a big fan of at the time and still am um but i was a shogun warriors kid as well oh okay yeah um so to date myself in the, in the <laughs> 70s there. Um, so I love that giant format of action figure. Nice. Yeah. Buddy, whatever, whatever those <laughs> things are. Yeah, there was very little articulation to those, eh? Yeah, no. Nah. So was there a certain moment that you can recall when you decided to start pursuing, uh, uh, you know, maybe a job in the toy industry? Um, no, my story is kind of uh unique i think i think everybody's story is probably unique but uh <laughs> my my journey into toys i didn't really think i was going to go there um i had gone to school uh university for illustration okay and i was doing self published comic books so i was always into storytelling character creation um but that was not in anywhere near hard goods um it was all story and kind of publishing based mm-hmm. um and i was very fortunate in my local uh, area, there was a guy who self-published and had been quite successful self-publishing and self-promoting his own comic and story. He had a Sega video game, and his name is Robert Kraus, R.A.K. Graphics. And uh, he uh, was the type of guy that if you wanted to learn, you could go over there and kind of work for learning. And uh, that's where I met a few few other guys. And uh made some strong artistic connections and a couple years later I heard from a couple of them and they they had gotten jobs at Kenner in Cincinnati and they were looking for a new kind of creator that wasn't so much an industrial designer as a storyteller designer fashion trends um kind of person and uh I got drafted out of college my last semester to start working at Kenner nice and that's kind of how I got in. They they liked the. Uh, I kept a sketchbook. I still do. I'm on volume ninety five. Wow, wow. And they uh, they just saw something unique. I've had conversations with some of the people. They just saw a lot of raw talent, and they said, if we can get something something out of this guy, he'll be worth it. And uh, <laughs> in the end, I think I was. So that's cool. That those sketchbooks have got to be gold. Uh, they're fun. I bring them to shows. I, I let people look through them. Um, part of that's, my success. That's awesome. Uh, was there ever a toy that uh, that got produced um, and uh, you you might have thought didn't perform as well as uh, had anticipated? Um, you know, my my recollection of all those the the subtleties of that get get kind of 
washed. Okay. It's a lot of ideas. I, I wish there are things that I know we worked really hard on over the years, like bot shots that, that never really came out the way we thought they could. Okay. Any number of reasons. So there's, there's things like initiatives that didn't catch on. Yeah. For one reason or another, some fair, some just timing. Yeah. Um, the, I, I kind of feel, I regret about some of those things like the geared bots wish those had become more a little more interesting to people mm-hmm. um not so much an individual toy because we probably you know probably had more more hits than misses so it's hard to yeah hard to sweat the small ones that maybe don't live up to you always had a new one to worry about yeah it's true <laughs> you don't want to get caught up on it on something that didn't work yeah i always say that the, the the fans or people that, you know, really enjoy this stuff every day and all day, they have that time as, as the creators. We really didn't ever have the time to live with the guys as much as, mm-hmm. you know, down the road, people get a chance mm-hmm. to. So we, we ourselves used to find fault in our deci- decisions at the time. Yeah. Uh, looking back, you know, so fast. It's yeah. Great, it's a process. Now, this next question, it kind of is bit on what we just mentioned or we just talked about, but what's the furthest a figure ever made it through the production process without getting produced? Um, we didn't have that problem too much um, without talking too deeply about it. Just the, the deal with Transformers and Hasbro and Takara, um, you know, there were some set milestones that if certain toys got to a certain point, uh, they just wouldn't get canceled. Okay. Um, or, or you know, there'd be a, a larger fee than you would have, you would want to incur. Mm-hmm. Um, so we definitely planned well in advance. Um, so not too many items didn't didn't make it. I mean, the the ones that stand out are obviously the animated ones, right? Um, but but that was all timing, and really, I, I think we did swallow that one and just pay for it. But um, not too many made it like got canceled you know what i mean yeah and that actually leads into my next one yeah they eventually find their way into a you know an exclusive line or something right right and that like i said that leads into my next question is is the the fandom really kind of really wanted the animated uh constructicons yeah um and were those ever uh for consideration you know i think anything that was in the show was always up for a certain amount of consideration okay um at the time i don't remember like a specific plan but i remember them definitely being on lists okay um yeah but that story was being developed well into season three Mm -hmm. and by then we kind of knew that the end was near yeah because we would know well in advance of anyone else knowing so we knew that that wasn't worth pursuing almost Mm -hmm. so yeah Eric Spinaler would have a <laughs> recollection of some of that. Yeah. Well, we'll have to get in touch with him next. <laughs> Drag him along. All these, uh, all these toy guys, all you toy guys are, are like ghosts. We can't find you. Um, <laughs> now the next question I have is, is, is about something that's, you know, you worked on the figure and it's a great figure. I personally love it, but it's got a, like, let's see here. Um, it's got a syndrome attached to it. Uh, <laughs> GPS, it's called Gold Plastic Syndrome. Yeah. Um, Transmetal 2 Megatron. I love this figure. It's def- it's one of my favorite figures. 
I wasn't a huge fan of Beast Wars, but when I saw the Transmetal 2 Megatron in the stores, I had to have it. It just looked awesome. And um, knowing what we know today about GPS, you know, was the use of the material avoidable or was it simply a new plastic mis- mixture or, you know, something more cost effective and, and unfortunately doesn't hold up to the test of time kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't totally around. I mean, I, I worked on Transmel 2 Megatron, but I wasn't responsible for the product, if you know. Right. Yep. So uh, that the specific decisions they made at the time, I, I really can't speak to. But from a technical standpoint, um, they were clearly trying to get a more luxurious gold through molding process than they could, you know, than they wanted to. I guess they didn't want to paint it. Um, and the more metallic flake that you want to throw into your plastic, um, depending on the type of flake and the type of plastic to get that luminescence that you want, you are severely compromising the molecular connections of that plastic bonding. Um, and you're basically throwing more irritant than the plastic can sustain. And over time, those molecules separate and that's where you get your cracking. Now that's a very technical answer. That you guys have probably heard in the past. <laughs> we uh, understand it. But uh, that's my only, I mean, that I know the team that worked on that stuff also worked on Dragonheart. Okay. Which also, if you remember, those toys had a kind of a luminescence to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that particular designer was very much into pearlescence and um, metallic flake and was always experimenting with that kind of thing. So all I can think of is, that was in the midst of all of that. Yeah. How soon would you guys at, at Hasbro have known that the, um, that the plastic mixture was faulty? Uh, usually on that kind of stuff, if it passes, if it passes the, the, the strenuous safety tests, you wouldn't know for some time, um, particularly, uh, when, when you, the things would get really hot or dried out. Right. Um, which happens over time, uh, um, I think that's when you would start, start to notice. Said, I don't think you'd say, no, uh, I it's, mean, it's still I, past the QA tests. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cause we've all bought knockoff products over the years and you know, the, oh, those, those are crap. break right away if they're going to yeah. break. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm guessing the plastic dried out or that irritant, you know, was, was low, uh, it just enabled low connectivity to the polymers. Mm-hmm. There, there's some videos out there of people just taking an infected toy and just kind of crushing it really easily in their fist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's way too much metallic in that. Mm-hmm. So it's like cosmic rust, right? <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> um, so, like I said, you and, you and like you said, you just you worked on uh, Transmetal Two Megatron, and it's a it's gloriously designed. I, I love it personally. Um, was there anything you wish? you could have made that never got made um no my time back then uh is that what you're referring to that that time yeah your your design time yeah yeah i i got really uh kind of directed asks by the the george bosnos who was running the projects at the time um he he just wanted uh designs and i don't i'd almost say that his attitude was whatever design was fine. Um, so if, if like, if people like the Transmetals to 
designs that I worked on, it was just through happenstance that they went through because the guy asked me to draw something and he didn't feel like changing anything. <laughs> um, which I always thought was a little bit weird because I did not understand Transformers at the time. Um, but I can at least say that I started a lot earlier than I otherwise could have. Mm-hmm. And I got a chance to meet the team back then as well. So it was long friendships. Yeah, that's true. Well, was there anything that, uh, that ever got, was there ever something that got produced that you wish hadn't? Um, no, I have like, my, my things are more philosophical questions. Like was the giant cheetor a good way to go? Mm -hmm. Should they, should we have done more of that? Or was that always going to be a bad idea? You know, like business kind of tactic kind of questions. I wish I could answer that. I can't. Yeah. More so than regrets about individual things. My my look at it is, you know, when I walk through a toy aisle today and I see these twelve inch tall, you know, Optimus and Bumblebees that Titan figures. these Titan figures that really don't do anything, you know. Um, I have to question whether this is really in the spirit of Transformers. Well, um, I don't know if there's a question there, but uh <laughs> Yeah. The uh you know, every every license is out there trying to capture somebody's imagination and get their dollar. So that's true. Yeah. Uh, it's a tactic. Um, it's more tactic than um, uh, anything else, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into the design process because that's really what you you did a lot uh, back in the day. Uh, what is the process for toy design? Um, it can be a lot of different things uh, depending on your partners and you know, whether you're on a licensed brand or a core brand, but, um, for transformers, uh, being part of the creation team, um, obviously there's a partnership with Takara there. I will leave that off to the side for now. Okay. And talk about what we, we specifically tried to do. Um, we got very specific goals at different times about new lines, new techniques, uh, we'd also offer up ways to challenge ourselves by doing role play or a different style such as animated. Um, so a lot of the early ideas come out of both a what haven't we done idea or model development and innovation ideas. Takara would spend a lot of time on, on that side of it, making conceptual models of well if we did this then things like this could happen or check out this new way to transform uh, a figure by pulling the arms apart or something mm-hmm. um, so that was a, a technical innovation coming from there and then Hasbro would do more of the stylistic and story uh, and kind of overall goals um, type of thing um, and we would just go back and forth through a series of, of meetings. Uh, every time the two of us would get together, uh, which happened about six to eight times a year, if you count toy fair meetings and various things, um, we'd go back and forth and we'd always have a new development, mid development, and almost end production development happening. And we'd always be on that cycle of introducing new ideas as we're kind of clarifying current ideas while finishing up and fixing the little last bits of getting into production on a, on a line. So we constantly had a flow going of those three things at all times. 
that's that's kind of how it went. Cool. So how long, if you could ballpark it, I mean, how long would the process take from start to finish? 14 months. Oh, um, wow. If we knew what we really wanted and Eric did awesome inputs um, or I or any number of the guys along the way um, and Takara, you know, embraced what we were doing, um, you know, that could be as short as 11 months. But, you know, that's really a focused effort. Wow. Because as they're making models, we're zeroing in on costs and zeroing in on package sizes and things might have to change at the last minute. Yeah. Um, for some of that consideration. Um, but if everything was humming, we could probably do it. You know, usually wave threes were the easiest. Um, we could do it faster. Wow. Now, we recently learned that uh, Takara designer um, Hizashi Yuki only had been given 12 days to design Masterpiece Megatron. Now, would you guys be given uh, deadlines for designing toys? Um, well, yeah, there were definitely schedules to hit. Um, uh, toy delivery, I don't know if everyone realizes, but um, there's there's a seasonality to the, the major deliveries of new lines that get promoted and all that with kind of the, the full court press. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't hit those and hit those at certain quantities, you know, there can be penalties. So there were always schedule drivers like that. Absolutely. Wow. Are we, can, can we all agree that 12 days is absolutely ludicrous to design a masterpiece scale toy? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. Probably. Now, where would you start? Would you start in, in alt mode or would you, would you go to robot mode first or, you know, kind of thing? Would, would there, would be, would you have a preference? Yeah. The, uh, Hasbro point of view, uh, often was because of what it was packaged as. Okay. Uh, because we packaged them as vehicles. So there was a certain amount of, you know, paint or graphic or detail, uh, that would, you know, be attractive in package that you would want to see. Um, So we'd focus on that kind of first. Um, That also gave us our blister envelope. You know, it fit Mm -hmm. easily within a a certain blister size. And then from there, you can create whatever robot you want to make, whether it's a tall, skinny one or a short, fat one or a very, you know, classic normal body style or feminine or six-legged or insect or whatever. But uh, if you figured that first vehicle out, that was usually um, the best the best approach. Even if we knew, well, this is going to be, you know, character X, um, we still started with the vehicle. Okay, uh, Jeremy, you had a question. But yeah, following up on that, because um, I've noticed a lot of the newer toys are um, packaged in robot mode. What was the decision to to make? You know, to present it as in the vehicle mode, is it just because you think kids are attracted to the cars? Or um, I think you're seeing the shift between a, a proper toy line and a IP branded line. Um, the characters are what sell, um, okay. not their vehicle form. Um, so when they were, you know, a great offering two two toys in one puzzle play, you could get away with that. Now that they are selling Bumblebee and Starscream and Megatron first. Uh, you kind of want to see the hero's faces is the right. kind of attitude. Yeah, that makes sense. You can also make the vehicles a lot smaller that way. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I just, I never thought that that was a consideration 
you know, in terms of how you presented, I just I never thought of that. Yeah, it's uh, efficiency of blister size <laughs> is what it comes down to. So when you're designing, does size ever come into it? Like, would somebody think of scale, or or you know, is it simply a result of uh, of budgetary constraints? The the size of the figure. Um, it's all concocted at the same time where you're trying to, as a team, as a company, figure out what is affordable uh, for the, for the company and the consumer, and then you kind of back into what you have to spend per item. And then from there, that tells you what you can get away with a small figure, an extravagant package or a big figure in a basic package or somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. Um, And you just kind of play the math and we would kind of make decisions at this price point. We expect sounds. So that automatically would eat up a certain percentage of your money. At at this price point, we want sounds and movement or flashing lights or something. Um, And that would all be sorted out usually up front so that you would know how to allocate your money. And that's how you would go about doing it. Somewhere okay. along the line, that cool six-wheeled vehicle you were designing gets busted down to a four-wheel vehicle. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Cool. So is there a reason uh, for the naming for the different size points? Like th- That always kind of confused me how they call things like Deluxe Voyager. Yeah. That is that is uh, a inward facing term. Um, that that's how the retailers buy those things. Okay. Um, like they just want to know what box they're getting and how to separate the how how, how to tell their their uh, people how to tag them correctly. So if deluxe is ten dollars and mega is twelve dollars, they they understand that for their their bookkeeping records and stuff. Uh, it's, it was never meant to be an outward facing kind of thing, but as we, that's our, that's the language of the toy company. So it would show up when we would talk about that stuff at bot cons and different places. And, uh, it's become part of the, part of the overall discussion now. (laughs) Yeah. It it always makes me think of uh, Starbucks where you have like the tall and vente and everything. And it's, Yeah. yeah, it has nothing to do with nothing other than. At these different prices, you should expect as a consumer, whether you're Walmart or, you know, Joe Smith on the street, you know, you should expect X at this price point. Right. Of Super or Titan or, you know, whatever. It's too bad Yoshi's not here because he would definitely want to know the answer to this one. What happened to rubber tires? (laughs) The world needs to know. (laughs) Um... Uh, again, a process thing. It, it's, they're not the hardest things to manufacture. Um, but they're a specialized manufacturing and they are even more dependent on the price of oil a little bit. Okay. And they take more assembly, which adds to your costs. So quite simply, they are stuff to get more than you want to pay for, for a number of ways. And they don't, always improve the end product um other than you know tactically ta- tactilely um mm-hmm. how to say that yeah uh, you know so it just kind of got phased out that's too bad yeah they're the best <laughs> um so yeah actually you, you just touched on it uh recently the size of figures we've noticed become 
smaller. Uh, deluxe figures today would have been a large scout size figure a few years ago. Um, what do you suppose, uh, uh, how do you suppose this has happened or why do you suppose this has happened? Um, well, the price, the pr- overall prices of toys hasn't dramatically changed in quite a while. Um, but the price of labor, oil, um, shipping, you know, all, all of those gas for trucks, uh, has increased the overall cost of production of those products. Mm-hmm. And this is true of toys and, and anything that's made of plastic, really. Uh, right. It's either been made with less quality or smaller or goes the other, other end and more expensive with more bells and whistles. <laughs> uh, the middle is atrophy. Um, but so it's really just a, a way to equal out the cost, I suppose um, that, uh, you know, for $10, they can't get what we used to get for our Mata $10. That's true. Um, and that's, you know, that's true for all of us filling up our gas tanks. Plastic is made of oil. Um, so it's, it fluctuates everything. Okay. Um, yeah, that's basically what I had assumed, but, uh, it's, it's good to hear it confirmed. Yeah. Um, would you, would you know or of a figure like, what would you think is a figure that would you say best uses its, its budget to the fullest and could possibly be, you know, the best figure of its wave? Oh man. Uh, you know, I, I wish I had a good answer for that. I, um, there, there are so many variables and so many ways to, to win at that game, uh, as a designer. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the designs of Joe Kide were, um, he did a lot of the end generation ones um, that are still coming out um, 30th anniversary items. And uh, he was meticulous. He, he'd use every penny to get as much coolness as he could get. Um, so I just remember things like that. Um, who did well with it. Mm. Uh, but every toy has its own little story of how it got made and how you robbed Peter to pay Paul or got lucky because of good costing conditions or really got, really got you know kind of shafted out of something kind of awesome because of those other opposite conditions Um, yeah so they all kind of there's no and that changes year to year there's it's a commodity business so the price of oil changes on a regular kind (laughs) of algorithm um so that's just what you'd have to factor Mm -hmm. um i mean but you mentioned uh, the designer Joe Kai there. Are, can you give us some examples of his designs? Because, you know, f- when I go into the, the, the store to buy a toy, it doesn't say on the back of the box, you know, designer Joe, Joe Kai. No, um, no, it doesn't. Um, he, he's, he's Big Daddy Joe Kai. Um, I would love, I would personally love to see something like that where it says that, you know, you know, on the back there. But I know being Hasbro and all, you're, you're really not going to, it give too much recognition to, to the people involved in making the toy, but well, I've been fortunate, you know, at some of the conventions to be able, obviously to call out who's, who does what, or yeah, who's contributed. Um, you know, so I think the transformers team probably gets a lot more of that than a lot of toy designers. Um, yes, but, uh, Joe Kai, uh, you know, I can't, I can't speak to individual stuff. I just know he did a lot of the generation ones. I don't want to misspeak and right. Take someone else. <laughs> okay well we'll we'll do a little bit of research here and see if we can find it but all the guys i mean have, have done you know 
did awesome work uh, and we're all diligent in their own ways. Mm -hmm. I think this is a job for the TF Wiki crew to (laughs) do all that research and put it in on the toy entries. That's right. Yeah. So coming into the future of, of, you know, toys and toy design um, with the integration of 3d printers, do you foresee a day when a person can simply download a toy to the printer and, and, you know, what does the future, where do you see it, you know, going for toys? Um, you know, I, I definitely think elements of customization are going to be important. Um, you know, creating your own stuff is cooler than playing with somebody else's frozen stuff. I, I don't mean that from the brand. I mean that from a locked in ability sense. Right. Um, you know, that's why Minecraft and Lego and uh, Transformers to a large degree being tactile and offer, you know, multiple ways to play mm-hmm. um, have been compelling brands. Um, the brands that just sit there and are based on, you know, questionable entertainment at times, uh, you know, that, that's not as much fun anymore. Uh, so 3D 3D printing offers, I think, a continuation of more customization in onto the toys um, for those kids that want plastic of things um, um, who can then collect or get stuff that Hasbro wouldn't naturally want, you know, focus on making. Mm-hmm. But maybe they'll work with a partner to, to offer that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it lets a lot of the boutique kind of one-off guys kind of do a lot of interesting things that you couldn't have done economy of scale wise, even, you know, five years ago, the things you see on Kickstarter and whatnot uh, yeah. that are going through that are just pretty cool stuff that no, no company would have risked uh, trying to make that because the return wouldn't have been worth it, but it's becoming a boutique kind of art craft business at this point. Mm-hmm. Charles, you had a question. Yeah. I just wanted to know if you were surprised by Hasbro's move to partner with the Shapeways 3D printing company so that they're actually letting fans uh, have their their creations become officially licensed Hasbro products? Spoilers, that's a question later. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think it, it seems like a, a smart thing to do. I mean, get into it early. You know, be better to be in, in it early than be frustrated by people doing it anyway, I guess. And if people want to spend time within your brands their own way, they're still within your brands. So that's still powerful, um, even if they're not spending commerce money necessarily the way they would have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this la- this question I have should have been in with the design, but I don't know why I didn't move it there. What determines a wave of figures or a case assortment, and why? And why would a case assortment get revised? Um. It's a good question because this is, I feel, the single-handedly the largest misconception of overall that I encounter um, and have been encountering over the years with with Transformers. Oh, good! Look at that, guys! I had a good question. Let's let's take that bit by bit. Um, at the beginning of the decision process, uh, I would often, in the early days, so this would be Armada through probably animated easily movie one uh kind of we would make a lineup of and tune it in 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 a number of ways with both form factor color factor allegiance factor uh predominantly and then sometimes feature factor 
um, so that every wave had a hero, a villain, a maybe a if there was a interesting truck, but maybe it was a little chunky, it got paired with a sports car, things like that. Um, so that was the initial idea behind the the wave building that uh, things would come out and basically have something for everybody. You know, if you want a weird boat guy or a weird spaceship, that was probably there as well. And if you wanted a slick sports car, that was probably there. And if you wanted a real utilitarian vehicle or military thing, that was probably there because we didn't expect everybody to be into every transformer. We wanted somebody to be interested in at least something that was on the shelf at any one time. Mm -hmm. Um, the reality is going back to the previous conversation is not everything hits the schedule the way it was supposed to. Um, maybe they had some QA problems with that gold, uh, plastic and it delayed Bumblebee out of, uh, everybody wishes Bumblebee might've got delayed, but, um, <laughs> how about I pick, you know, dirge or somebody sure. uh, that, that would knock him out of that wave, making that case pack need to get revised. Okay because they no longer had the ability to manufacture as many dirges as they originally thought. Now we got to fill that in. We're short 12,000 items. Okay. We can double up Bumblebee, you know, things like that would happen. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that is true of any toy line made anywhere. Um, because not every item goes as planned and you might have a week delay on one and all the other ones are ready five weeks in advance. Do you wait for the other one to catch up? No, you change your plan. Wow. There you go. That's that settles that. Yeah, yeah. It's, very, it's very tactical. It's very market marketing and market timing driven. And if if somebody's if if there's a product dying on the edge of the road, you shoot it and move on. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what you got to do. Yeah, you were right. I I didn't. Uh, I I was totally wrong. I thought it was had something to do with the fact that the figure was not selling well, and you just we move it off the the next wave and. Um, yeah, that would happen, but it wouldn't happen in a in a fast enough time frame. Okay, um, you would find out almost too late that that was the that was the case. Okay, um, because when, if you're finding results on a wave one, like maybe there's an item in wave one that's not selling well, you've probably already shipped wave three. Oh, okay. And within that, you may have shipped five different case packs already within those three waves. Wow. Um. So, yeah, that that just what you, you wouldn't know in real time until it was too late, and that that often you know also explains why you see uh, back in the Beast Wars days you saw so many Transkitos or whatever that guy's name was, <laughs> uh, the mosquito guy. Yeah, uh, you know that guy was just overproduced uh, because um, the other guy in that wave didn't get made fast enough, mm -hmm. and it screwed everything up. <laughs> our next questions are about the the movie uh, or the movies how did uh, michael bay end up getting involved directing the live action movies um you it's know made, yeah it may not be a question directly for you but i'm sure you know yeah i mean i don't know the direct origins other than um i'm pretty sure that you know that the, the stories are, are true that steven spielberg wanted him on the project um he had just done the island for dreamworks and um, they liked what he did and wanted more, I guess. Um, the, that's the earliest. I mean, the first uh, time I met Michael was, uh, out for dinner before a day before we presented to him. Um, 
and uh, it just kind of went from there. Um, the movies um, organically kind of got building steam over a couple of years before Michael, you know, was fully on board. Um, not in detail, but just trying to make deals with studios and whatnot. Yeah. How much interaction did he actually have with uh, you guys at Hasbro? Um, like once he came on board? Yeah. Oh, uh, regular. I, I okay. spent, I spent for movie one, I spent three weeks in the art department. Um, on top of him coming to Hasbro, I think once and us coming out another couple of times for other, uh, meetings or, or showing him where we're at or him showing us cuts of the film, whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and then Brian Goldner was a executive producer. So they talked very regularly. Um, would would that have happened for each movie or, or would it? Yeah. Have, okay. yeah. So in the different movies, I, as we found success and Michael understood what he wanted to do and, and, um, all of that, you know, I spent less time in the art department only because there was an understanding of what we were, were all trying to do so we could do our work faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd pitch ideas, we'd, we'd share ideas, we'd uh, kind of talk about things that hadn't been touched on as maybe opportunities um, yeah. to explore. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, we'd provide whatever samples or reels or pictures we could to help help visualize that. And we did that for all four movies so far. Very good. Charles, you had a question. Yeah, I was wondering uh, where the process for designing the movie figures started. Did it start with the movie people designing the characters, or did it start with with Hasbro designing the figures and then they being turned into uh, movie characters? No, no, that was purely um, the movie. That was a movie decision that, that Hasbro reviewed and supported. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how much control, um, or I don't want to imply too little or too much other than, um, we definitely looked at it and thought it was cool and thought it was different, which is definitely, I've always said we were open to a different interpretation. We weren't trying to recreate G1 within the Hasbro building. Um, that wasn't our attitude. Um, so that, that was Michael Bay's art department. Um, Couple couple guys, Ben Proctor and uh, um, a couple other really talented dudes out there designed a lot of those guys. And I was happy to be working alongside them for a little bit. And then you guys were just um, stuck with having to figure out how to make the transformation work without cheating like they can with the movies. Yeah, we we talked a lot about that. We, I mean, early days of the first film, we tried to, you know, like what's the starting position? What's the first, you know, crack? you know, that you guys are going to do that we can follow little things like that. We tried to try to match up. And in, in the end, it just didn't matter. Um, really my focus was trying to, uh, not, not recreate G1, as I've said, but certainly create some form of squint test. So if you looked at Optimus on the movie screen, you, you would at least have a recollection that it was, something familiar um bumblebee and optimus we probably spent more time on than anyone else but that's how starscream became a jet and stuff like that mm-hmm. um how do you feel like the end product portrayed the brand well i mean i can be fair i mean i think there there are 
fun popcorn movies and they, they, they service what they intend to, uh, really well. They make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I feel like the fans that there could be more heart into it and they could be portrayed as more heroic, um, the Autobots, um, than they often are. And I'm not as into the humor as much, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I feel like the criticisms of them are, you know, fair, even though, you know, whatever's working seems to work fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Yeah. Most of the, most of the fandom is, is, you know, united on the, the front of them not being the greatest, but we're, I think we're all in a pretty much agreement that without Michael Bay and his, his movies, um, a lot of the, the, the toys that we come to love may not exist. Like the, the generations line and, you know, the, the masterpiece that have started coming over to North America, we probably wouldn't have those. Um, just because of the fact that, you know, maybe, maybe not in the, to the extent that we have them these days. Uh, would you agree to that? Yeah, probably, probably. Yeah. It's undeniable that Bumblebee is a fan favorite and that kids love him. Um, but did every wave of figures have to have two or more Bumblebees in the box? Now, you already answered that this question for me at TFCon, um, and I thought your answer was great. So I'll include a, a clip of it uh, in the show notes here so we can uh, yeah, don't show wanna, you. Don't want to misquote myself. <laughs> no, of course not. Hey, how are you? Good. Um, I think uh, we're all big fans of Bumblebee here, so I mean, uh, why couldn't we get more of that? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, the, um, was there, I mean, I don't know whether you can go into it or not, but was there any kind of internal dialogue that, uh, you know, you guys may have come across and said, you know, we might have hit a threshold here on the Bumblebees? When, when the marketer brought in a picture I think that someone took or themselves to whether we found it online or not, of the wall of bumblebees at some retail. Uh, yeah, we, we I know that there was a reaction. Um, I I was that really happened after movie two a lot, and then certainly by movie three. Um, I was in the IP section for movie three in a way, so I I wasn't there to guard that gate. Um, they know they made a mistake, but you know, when you have a character like Bumblebee, who's who's yellow, I mean, if, if they made a red Bumblebee, it'd be Cliffhanger, um, you're kind of limited. Um, it's not like uh, the Batman I got to work on where I could do you know, green and purple Batman and make it work. There's no way to make a purple Bumblebee work. So you end up trying to sell your favorite, your most popular characters, and it, it doesn't always work. <laughs> Thank you very much. Sure. Um, now, aside from the upcoming masterpiece figure, um, do you think Bumblebee will ever be the, the Volkswagen bug again? You know, I, I don't know. Um, the, the masterpiece is a good start, I guess. Um, you know, for me looking at it, not as a diehard G1 fan, you know, it's, it's, I always look at today's kid, you know, or, or someone who's going to be looking at it for the first time. And I don't know if the Volkswagen Beetle has as much allure today to those kids as it did to us when we were kids. And while, while it's nice to go, it should be, I don't know if it would resonate as much as like a Honda fit or Ford focus or something that's more relevant to them Mm -hmm. um, as that car was to us. Then Um, those are the kinds of things I had to think about. 
Um, so I never cared that it was an old VW, unfortunately. Um, I'll go on a limb and say that out loud. <laughs> um, you know, and then I told the story how we had at the time the run in with, you know, Volkswagen, who just did not seem interested to talk to us at all, which kind of soured me on the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so that that's that's where I am on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you said, it would be nice if Volkswagen, if it's not a Volkswagen, but it really would be nice to bring them back to a a compact small little car at some point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the muscle car thing is is great for those films, but I'm not sure that's who Bumblebee really is mm -hmm. at his core. Um, you know, I think IDW's gone a long way to try to make that such, but um, yeah. you know, now I need a new young up and coming guy. That's right. Yeah. He needs to be one of those like small two seater cars that you see that look like little clown cars driving around. A little smart car. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> What are your thoughts on the latest Masterpiece figures? Um, I sent uh, a list, but I'm fairly certain you know them all anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I'm I'm excited for, for me. I, I don't know. I, I will always have more weird points of view, given how much time I spent with this stuff. Um, you know, Star Saber and things like that are really intriguing to me. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, that's probably the first one I've really wanted to have, like, earnestly like i gotta get that okay in quite a while um you know but i'm glad they've been able to get back to the you know they've been able to do the lamborghinis and the the blue streaks and you know yeah all all of that um you know i think that's great um you know because i i act my theory is that toys are either going to be very low end or very right. high end mm -hmm. a lot like how the global market is right now. You either have money or you don't. Um, and, uh, you know, masterpiece is great for people who have that kind of money and want to premiere product. Um, you know, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Now, when you, if you were to, to, to mess with a, a masterpiece figure, would, would you look at it and would you transform it or mess around with it and, and just, and from your design aspect, you know, would you be looking at it thinking, oh man, that's, that's really cool what they did there. And, oh man, look at that. You know, that's really neat there. And, you know, would you, would you be looking at it through a designer's eyes or would you be looking at it through like the nostalgia, you know, these are the, the 84, you know, characters. Yeah. I'd look at it probably through nostalgia and just presence. Okay. Versus subtlety of transformation or feature. Okay, cool. Um, I probably look at them often as more iconic characters um, first. And is that product representing that by the attitude and pose and all that? Mm -hmm. um, and I, the ones that Takara particularly does are, are, are great with that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like I started Masterpiece with the Optimus. Um, and that was a lot of fun. But, man, it's gone way beyond that item uh, mm -hmm. at this point. Yeah, you... Were you part? You were part of Hasbro when they brought uh, uh, MPO One over, right? Well, I designed it. MPO One in North for North America. Yeah, that was an, a Hasbro 20th anniversary Optimus. That's right. So Son we actually pitched bitch. that to Kara. Damn it! I should have known that. I should have got <laughs> you to sign mine when and I was at TFCon. God yeah, damn! Yeah, we're not the. Uh... <laughs> oh, I got I got something I got to put in my suitcase yeah. when I go to TFCon now. <laughs> I'm sending mine to you. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, so like that came out that that I 
that item came out of a very unique time where Transformers was being looked at as this kind of thing that they were going to build to become something that obviously it becomes. Um, and they wanted a marquee item to celebrate that anniversary. And I kind of went in with a cool board and got the money to make a really cool item without even really presenting it. Um, and that's why that item has so much VM and lights and extra parts and rubber tires and springs and really yeah. wish I had a trailer, but yeah, well, heck, <laughs> um, you know, it has a pretty impressive package and yeah. uh, all of it. So yeah. Well, that was the that, Japanese gave it. A that trailer. was a fortunate item to work on, and then we worked with Don Figueroa to do a lot of the detailing at the time. Cool. Um, and uh, yeah, and it kind of kickstarted that. Let's get back to big diecast guys, which you know sprung up out of al- alternators and all that. Wow, that's something the wiki didn't have on you, man. Yeah. Oh. It, it, uh, a lot of lot of lot of lot of unknowns there. Yeah. Man, that blew my mind. <laughs> um, all right, focus. Uh, during the time you worked at Hasbro, Transformers seemed to really take a step away from combiners. Um, now, for this question, I'm not counting the Energon figures as combiners since they basically combined with everything. Um, was this a conscious decision? Um well, I will tell you that they did not do well in Energon, and there are a lot of things that didn't do well in Energon for any number of reasons, um, unfortunately. And sometimes in the toy industry, if something doesn't really live up to billing, you can't really put that card back on the table anytime soon. Right. And combining probably suffered from that um, for a while. There's also an additional issue of ratioing. And do you have to keep all five of those guys out in circulation at all same rates at all times? Or can you sell more of the the one you want to sell? Or, you know, it gets kind of a, a product ratioing issue mm-hmm. um, to make everybody feel like they have a chance to get the whole thing. And, you know, trust me, if you look at any combiner, there's always that fifth one that probably isn't as cool as any other deluxe item you could get. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, you know, odds of how it works out. Um, and so you're always kind of stuck with a couple items that just as a combiner, they're very cool, but as a singular item, it just is tough. Plus the ratioing. Yeah. That's the long technical answer. <laughs> um, now it wasn't until recently that we, we've seen Hasbro go back to combiners with fall of Cybertron, fall of Cybertron Bruticus. And with the upcoming IDW Combiner Wars, uh, we know that there's going to be a lot of old, recognizable names getting figures again. Was there ever a thought prior to this about bringing back Combiners? Maybe a little between well, they, they brought, Energon? They brought back the, the Power Links guys. Is that what they were called? The Power Core Combiners? Power guy, yeah. yeah. That's, that's as close as we ever got again. Um, so, no, I guess not. Not until mm. Creo came out with them. <laughs> those are fun those little guys are fun uh okay um we're gonna talk third party independent companies favorite Hold on. <laughs> what did you hang up no what? i'm still here <laughs> so no other brand other than transformer seems to have the sheer amount of third party companies popping up and creating their own fan inspired fi- uh, figures and add-ons uh, like uh, 
like the Transformers do. Uh, now, you answered my question at TFCon about third-party companies, uh, so we'll link that in, in uh, the show notes here, about whether or not Hasbro was aware of these companies or not, and if Hasbro looked at them for inspiration. So uh, check out the link for that uh, for that answer answer there. Hey, uh, I'm gonna push the envelope. All right. Um, where would you say that uh, the independent companies would be on the radar of that? Would they even register? Would people be aware of what's being brought to market? Every new thing comes to market gets added to the binder, <laughs> and there are two binders. Now that hot, yeah. Um, would it be influenced at all? Like influenced? Like would their products be influential to perhaps something that legally? Happens? No, we don't look at I any mean, of maybe it. Maybe more on the engineering side. No, no, no. We don't even have an house. Of, you know, we Hasbro wouldn't want to be accused of stealing someone who's stealing. Uh, so no, it was never, uh, never part of the discussion, other than. Is there a, a violation we should do something about, can't do something about, or uh, is there any bad PR here? Um, that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, but as a as a toy design group, Takara, Hasbro, uh, honest, honestly, it sounds weird, but we never factored in the stuff. No? No, no more than we looked at Gundam for inspiration or anything else. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you. Sure. So if I were to ask a follow-up to that, it would be that it strikes me as odd uh, that the third-party companies for the last two years have been producing combiner figures, albeit competing against one another. Doesn't seem very intelligent. Um, (laughs) Then Hasbro announces their next big thing is Combiner Wars. Uh, I mean, I understand that Hasbro has nothing to worry about from these third-party companies, but uh, I can't believe that they weren't influenced a little bit. Uh, well, I haven't been there for that part of it. So oh, okay. No, but, um, you know, I, like I said at the con, uh, I, I can't recall any decisions being made related to third parties other than, you know, well, we can put out that guy a lot cheaper than they can. Um, that's about it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, not definitely not influence too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know where they are at the combiners, but my best example of of Hasbro in a n- non compete kind of compete way um, was a third party company put out a version of Springer, and yeah. th- their version cost eighty to a hundred bucks. I don't know, but it was expensive, and they're all expensive. But Hasbro then pops up with the Voyager class Generation Springer. And it kicks ass, man. And it's 30 bucks and there's, you know, and you can find it anywhere for 30 bucks and there's no, then it beats the pants off of this third party one. And that's the best example that I can find that, that Hasbro sees an opportunity to maybe say, you know what? Hey, let's produce a Springer and just blow this thing out of the water. Uh, yeah. You know, for that designer, that might've been a factor. I, I, I don't know, but that is a good way to slow those companies down. Yeah. Um, Do you think that's more of an, a designer decision on things to um, things to pitch versus just Hasbro in general? 
yeah, yeah, the designer probably pitched that. Maybe, maybe tactically, I don't know. Um, marketers would not have cared either way. Um, I don't believe, unless something you know, which hasn't happened, was just like caught fire and just had to be. We, you know, that's never happened. So, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, didn't uh, wasn't the Springer toy based on the Sandstorm toy? Like, wasn't the Sandstorm toy developed? First, I think the Sandstorm Triple Changer, and then the Springer toy was a retool of that. Uh, that sounds yeah. I think I don't know which I came. I think first. that's what they I said at the BotCon. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't know if that gives evidence either way, but that it's just a uh, interesting that I think Springer is the more popular character, so it's interesting that they designed the Sandstorm toy first. Yeah, there may have been another green guy in the line or, you know, that's how the decisions would get made. Okay, that's cool that it's a helicopter, but he can't be green. Mm -hmm. Or, that's great, you got a cool green helicopter, we don't need another helicopter, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Or or another flying thing, you know, stuff like that would come up. Would would Hasbro paint all the uh, third-party companies with the same brush um, to... Or believe like the people that produce simply add-on kits to be the lesser of two evils because of the fact that, you know, the, the original, you know, Hasbro figure would still need to be purchased to have the add-on kit or, or, you know, they would. Yeah. Well, add-on kits, I think, you know, fall under kind of a, not even a gray area. It's kind of like, well, you're accessorizing. Okay. And that's been proven, you know, you can accessorize third party all day, every day, as long as you're not kind of copying direct design language and using trademarks, um, such as Autobot logos or something. But um, so you can get away with add-on kits pretty easily. Um, That's cool. Um, you know, then there's different levels. Is it is it a direct knockoff? Like it's the same toy, but it's now five inches when it used to be 12 inches or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Giant mini cons, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like what you see with the Asian knockoffs. Yeah, those are a little more insidious because they're clearly taking a Hasbro or Takara tool and like knocking it off. Yeah, I, I have a huge Beast Machines rat trap toy I got somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> I have a. Uh, I, I used to get the Star Wars guys that were just wacky. <laughs> um, but anyway. Um, and then there's kind of then the intellectual third party stuff, which is it looks like X. It sounds like X. It has a name that sounds designated like character X, but you know it for all intents and purposes is you know that guy. Um, that's a little more fuzzy because that's not a design patent and not always a direct copy, but it's in the spirit of um, you know I don't know what to do with those. Yeah, that's uh, I, that's where I I stand on my little bit of high horse, and I just think they're weird clones, and they don't look like the the guys I really like. It's like it's like buying a Batman guy with a little bit weird bat logo on his chest because it's not quite Batman. <laughs> that's that's how I view it. I view it as a weird copy, not not a homage or something. Right. But that's probably me on my high horse. Yeah. Well, there's like I said, there's there's definitely a lot of them out there. And, um, are, and and that just tells there's a couple of reasons for that. It tells you the brand is popular. Uh, that the brand has a lot of passionate 
uh, old fans or older fans that appreciate subtlety that Hasbro's not going to give. And I think it speaks to the new wealth in China for people who want high-end collectibles, not toys. And mm -hmm. they want those collectibles in the brands that they prefer. And Hasbro and Takara make some high-end collectibles, but not enough to service that market at all. So that's another reason you see the as many third parties as you do. Right. Um, so it's a health, I mean, it shows a healthy brand. Um, when episode one was coming out that, you know, all the leaks were from episode one and everyone wanted to know all that stuff. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, people don't give a crap right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how do you feel about them working with, Sh Oh, we already asked that question. <laughs> Sorry, Daryl. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll edit that out. <laughs> um, could you foresee a time when uh, Hasbro would license out their brand to some or all of these uh, uh, third-party companies for a percentage of the profit? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't really speak to the business side of it. I think you'll see a certain type of product being able to be made that kind of sits alongside your brand in the same way that a McDonald's premium toy helps your brand, but isn't really giving you money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you could promote maybe little weird things. Like I would, I would have loved to been able to print up a little angry Archer. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, that would have been the perfect place for that kind of item or product from the, from the brand. We're seeing a lot of things like the, the little vinyl figures, like the loyal subjects that yeah are kind of along that line. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think you can get action figures. You can certainly, I mean, my friend works at, at a great company that does a buildable figure. Um, you know, you can definitely get good tolerances now or better tolerances and a more variety of color. Um, but, uh, you know, I still contend right now the way transformers are made, the hinges, the pivots, the smallness, the tightness of everything, the tolerances needed to make them stand and everything, playability it's going to be tough to print a 3d transformer that has anything like a reliability you would want for a while. So I think it's going to be ancillary stuff around the brand that you otherwise couldn't get. I mean, imagine getting every gun again from the G one, oh, uh, yeah. you know, that'd be cool. Um, you know, all these little things that just, you could add to the brand, um, has a lot of potential there with the 3d printing. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to, I want to spike. I want to, Carly, I want to, you know, I want weird stuff like that. I want a chip chase. There you go. I've wanted a chip chase for a long time with the wheelchair, moving wheels and everything. Yeah, right. Awesome. Nobody's disabled as long as you have courage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're talking cartoons now. <laughs> All right. Armada was a major reboot of the Transformers series and was the first to be co-developed in the U.S. Uh, and Japan. How did the collaboration work in the development of the series? Um, that's a good question. Again, we would sit back uh, with Takara and, and, and at the time Takara and Hasbro, and we would map out what we want to do. Um, I, th I touched on this at a con as well, where, you know, the, the U.S. or Western holidays don't always match up to the Japan holidays. So different timings per the year or figure drops per throughout the year were kind of tactically planned. They didn't always match up for one of the other partners, but we all gave and took 
back and forth. Um, so all that would be planned out ahead of time. We would develop a lot of the toys ahead of time and then start working with the animation company. And the way it works in Japan is you can, if you're paying for it, you, the director has a lot of control, but you, you kind of still, you can brief a project and they make it. Um, that's not the case. That's not always how it works in like LA, for instance. Mm. Um, so they worked within our parameters and debuted the characters in a sequence that we kind of established and worked through a storyline that we kind of pre pre described. Um, and, uh, that's, that's how it was done, including, you know, when redecos would happen and stuff like that. Cool. Charles, you have a question. Yeah, I was curious. Was Pokemon an influence at all for the Armada line? I, I when it came out, I got the sense that it was trying to kind of capitalize on that collectability of of all the little different, uh, you know, different figures as little uh, yeah. add-ons to the big figures. I don't know if Pokemon specifically came up, although the tactic given to me was how do we collect? How do we create a collectible? Um, kind of at the time, kind of uh, popcorn was the term. Mm-hmm. Uh, purchase uh, Transformer, which um, at the time Takara had presented MicroMasters again, and then I was working on this idea of making these little cars activate features on bigger cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it all, it all, the mini cons kind of got born out of this idea of we need collectability and here's some stuff on the table that we're kind of thinking about. This is the way to do it. And we can enhance it by making them combine or have little themes or so on and so forth. Right. So I named them mini cons through that process and, uh, came up with our little baseball diamond logo and all of that. Cool. Now, Armada also finally brought us a Unicron toy that was one of the largest Transformers at the time. Uh, what can you tell us about the development of this toy? And is there anything you wish you could have changed from the final release of the version? Not that it needs changing. I love it. Um, no, I don't think there's anything that I'd like to change other than maybe some of those the, the sphere parts not falling off as easy as they do. <laughs> um, but... Uh, that came about through Armada was doing pretty well sales wise and the show was doing good enough. But um, because we were on the Japanese 52 episode schedule mm-hmm. instead of uh, an American, you know, 24 or 13, um, we had a lot of time over 18 months to kind of, we had to keep the fires going, right? It's a long time to keep any brand kind of interesting. Because you're you're going by either two Christmases or one Christmas, and you got a lot of time on either end. Um, so, um, kind of rambling a little bit here. Uh, but uh, where was I going with that? I'm totally blanking. How uh, how <laughs> how Unicron got how designed? So, or? so that's right. So they uh, they came back with we need you know we want something the marketers we need something big and that 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 for that christmas you know something that's really gonna we can center the show around and make a big deal about and blah 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 and uh i had had the neo unicron in my office uh the big model for quite a while um 
reviewing it for whether we should just put that out at one point. Are you guys familiar with that one? Is that the one that uh, just uh, got shown at the Tokyo show? Yeah, the, yeah, randomly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the one that was was made for Beast Wars, right? Beast Wars Neo yeah. was that? Yeah. It? Okay. Yeah. So I had that model in my office, and we were looking at it. Um, should we make that? Because it got made for that for Neo, and then they didn't didn't need it, so they had this pretty elaborate model. Um, in the end, because that model wasn't built for all the Minicon type features, we just Takara and Hasbro said, let's let's redo Unicron and make him really the ultimate Minicon thing. Um, and I think I just sold it in to the team at Hasbro just by saying it's the biggest Transformer and it's kind of like their version of the devil. Um, so it's kind of a big deal. Um, and Takara was into it because they love that that part of the movie. Um, so they, they kind of wanted to bring him back in, in their continuity um, more so even. That's cool. how you, that's how Unicron came to be. That's awesome. I, I personally like the 25th anniversary colors on them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's like three or four different colors of them. At least, I think there's a lucky draw version. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, now, a few years ago, many Transformers web, web uh, websites ran some pictures of your napkin of revelation. Uh, that were found that were your foundation of the Cybertron series. A lot of the creative people mentioned that they need to grab whatever is available to get their ideas down or they will forget them. Is uh, that what happened here? Uh, well, while I agree with that sentiment, um, that is not quite what happened here. Um, I'll give you a bit of an insight into this story. Uh, we've been planning the sequel to uh energon at one point to be because energon didn't do as well as armada and we're talking it wasn't it didn't tank but it just didn't live up to the same expectation we'd build up with armada um there was like this an idea like let's go back to some of the old characters for the next series and what i mean by that is like jazz and blue streak and different guys from maybe g1 even mm-hmm. Um, and at the time we had developed the concept, the story was, we called it Supercross, and it was going to be the characters from Armada and Energon going through the different timelines of the Transformers universes, picking up the hero of that universe. So Jazz from G1 or, you know, Dinobot from Beast Wars, whatever. And they were going to pull them back to our current, this current reality and have a super team. That sounds awesome. It did sound awesome, right? <laughs> um, Why didn't that get made? I, well, I think it, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a tough sell to explain to people that there are all these other transformers that have all these other stories and characters and that kids today are going to know any of that. And how do you, you know, make it a big deal? And I, I think it just seemed like a lot of extra work. I think it would have been awesome work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can, I fairly, it does seem like a little bit of a love letter more than a, a, a battle plan. It would have given so much opportunity for these kids to search out these other series. Well, hey, 
Right on, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, you had a question. Well, yeah, I was just wondering if if those plans eventually just ended up being that first universe line where you got like the um, Optimus Primal in the Rodimus Prime colors, and yeah, we never we didn't get too far into the product side of that, um, other than some, like I said, basic kind of layout of of overall line. Like we want more flying things, or you know, less trucks, whatever. Um, but, but so what happened was we had a meeting of the core team kind of talked where we were. I had this kind of weird storyboard trying to explain all of this and it, it just, it just didn't feel right. Um, which I totally agree with, um, felt like a tough thing to communicate. And we found out that the term supercross wasn't available. And sometimes you fall in love with names, and sometimes if you lose the name, you kind of lose the idea with the name. Um, so we went to Taco Bell that day, <laughs> and we had all this fresh in our mind, and we just kind of plowed through what we had had and then what we needed to do, which was focus and offer new characters people could get behind. Um, and that's kind of how the idea of they had to go to different planets still, but they weren't different realities. Um, so that kind of remained, uh, at the time they were trying to bring back, uh, not so much the keys, but like a, a part of like alpha trion or, uh, teletran one or something. And when it all got put back together, that's what would have stopped Unicron. Hmm. Um, that, that kind of fell out with the feature of the keys, um, playing that same role. But, uh, that's kind of, that's what the, that's what the napkin of revelation is. It was a desperate, fast redirect taking basic building blocks and rebuilding to what became Cybertron. Hmm. And that's why I get a story created by credit <laughs> on, on Cybertron. Cause I was, I was the one at lunch figuring that out. <laughs> that's, that's definitely not the place I would, I would consider going for focus Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's, that's, that's how it went though. I Whatever works, right? Still have the napkin. Cool. <laughs> it has a life of its own. Yeah, I bet it does. The um, yeah, that's uh, that's memorabilia now. Yeah. Uh, Transformers animated though was a complete departure from the look and feel of of Transformers uh, shows uh, that uh, had surrounded it recently. Um, with the series popularity, it seems to have been worth it. Um, but how much of a risk did you think it was at the time with the brand? Um, I don't know if, uh, you know, I never, I never tend to think of, of the risk side of it. I look at the, what, what's cool, new and fresh that we can, you know, focus on and then thusly talk about, promote. Um, we were really interested in changing the dynamic of the robots. Um, Armada through Cybertron, you know, it, it had a very chunky, blocky thick feel to them mm -hmm. um you know they're very feature-based products um whereas the movie and animated are more transformer-based products um if you know what I, if you can catch that subtlety yep um so we had tried made a tactical decision and choice to offer something different on the shelf and we said how can we bring more uh, more body forms to Transformers. And that was a goal. That was a goal straight out even before 
Derek Wyatt and other people came in. Um, but it just reinforces how awesome it was when Derek came in that his style fit what we were able to do and fit how Eric drew as well. And, you know, solve that problem really nicely. So we all worked at it. So it never seemed like a real problem, but that was the initial goal mm -hmm. uh, for animated was to be quite different on purpose. Yeah, well, yeah, it is. It's very different. And then uh cartoon network, you know, they didn't want to do the same old show. They, they didn't want to do G one part, you know, seven. Yeah. Um, uh, which was always the running joke that this is, you know, G eight or G nine or, yeah. You know, um, but uh, they kind of wanted their own take on it, but they had respect for the, the characters and the overall milieu of the brand. Um, so, you know, I think it, I think it, I think it was fun. It changed the dynamic a little bit more fish out of water and human villains and whatnot. Yeah, no, it's uh, it definitely resonates with a lot of fans. That's for sure. Yeah. Just the fact that you didn't have Optimus prime as the entire leader of the Autobots. That was a big shift. Yeah. Um, you know, we, I, I, we always tried to do, you know, different things. I, I mean, you can't, I say this and it sounds odd sometimes to hear, but you, you almost can't be always pure to the source material because you'll never get anywhere. Um, and it's always the thing you're butting up against and pulling from, but, uh, you, you have to look at it from all the different facets to pull out new, interesting stuff. And, uh, that one was very visually different, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it came out around the movie which also presented a very drastically different presentation and vision and kind of, you know, how you, you can't really have competing visions and ultimately animated suffered for that. Now transformers prime and fall of Cybertron, uh, were supposed to happen in the same continuity. Yep. <clears throat> were, were there any plans to have, or to bring Grimlock into the TV show? Uh, no, not that I'm aware of. Okay. Now, speaking of the TV shows on a broader scale, um, they never seem to last more than three seasons. Yep. Is there a specific reason for this, or is it simple coincidence? Uh, no, I, I think it's uh, buyer fatigue, both on the consumer buyer and the you know end consumer. Um, you, it's it's a tough sell to get your toys on on shelf at any of these retailers. Mm -hmm. And if you don't bring unique and new sizzle every now, almost every six months, uh, you know, they're going to buy more of the other thing or the other guy's thing. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so it becomes a, a necessary, you know, lifeblood transfusion just to get more, uh, be treated like you're, you got something new and different. Right. Um, and that, you know, so as a result, toy lines often don't, you know they they don't stay within any one feature format or packaging format. If you're a trend, or if you're a, G, a Star Wars fan, trying to keep up with the packaging changes on three and three quarter, <laughs> you're you're you got you got some problems, right? Um, yeah. Because every twelve months they kind of needed a little bit. Hey, these are the new figures. Look, they're in new packaging. You know, make sure you don't miss them. Uh, <laughs> that that's kind of what happens. So the same is true for a storyline or a set of character designs. And that's why you saw like even beast machines, you know, change beast wars. So it's been happening for a long time. Mm -hmm. Charles, you had a question. Yeah. You mentioned that animated kind of suffered since uh, it was competing a little bit with its aesthetic versus the movie aesthetic. So was that the reason why transformers prime 
adhered a little bit closer to the movie aesthetic. Like a lot of the elements of the movie characters came into Transformers Prime. Sure. Yeah. I mean, when when you strike strike uh, strike a chord like Transformers One did, you you don't want to shy away from it. So Prime certainly is a a movie echo versus a G one echo. Mm-hmm. Okay, comics now. All right. While you were at Hasbro, did you work with IDW on their Transformers comics characters and storylines? Uh, at different times, to different degrees, I absolutely did. And I was part of the team that when they pitched to get the license, I was part of that team that reviewed all of that. Cool. Um, so we'd have, I would mostly sit in at my level um, with Hasbro's publishing group, um, which is Michael Kelly. He's in all the books. Um, myself, maybe a marketer. And we kind of hear out what, We'd share back and forth. Here's what Hasbro is doing with the product line and different segments and characters. And IDW would pitch kind of the direction of the books that they were doing or the takes that they wanted to take or new series to launch. And uh, I'd be part of that. Those are kind of early discussions. And then then the script details and, and things like that. Not I was not involved in as much, and then only when they redesigned certain characters or things was I also then brought back on board. Okay. Charles, question. Yeah, I was just curious if Hasbro had gotten a little bit more cautious with IDW since the uh, before that Dreamwave had the license, and we know Dreamwave had a kind of a bad ending. Was there any kind of... Uh, concern from Hasbro side about giving the property to another comic book company? Um, no, I mean the 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 brand was uh, the brand was uh, a positive brand. I mean, Dream Dreamwave, you know, didn't know how to run their business basically, right? Um, so there was no Transformer stigma uh, as far as that went. Um, so Hasbro was just eager to, you know. Because the Dreamwave Transformer comics did well. Right, Um, right. You know, their their company didn't survive, but uh, wasn't for lack of sales at the time. Um, So, you know, we knew we had something worthwhile. It was just then find the next partner kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think we're fortunate, or they were fortunate, um, that IDW, um, you know, a smaller but very dedicated kind of company that wants to make good products um, you know, got involved. Um, it's worked out. Cool. Mm-hmm. Now, recently there has been a lot closer collaboration between Hasbro and IDW, uh, with their comics, uh, now being packed in with toys and the comic pick characters, designs, influencing toy designs. Um, uh, was that started while you were there? Yeah. Yeah. We were working on the 30th anniversary offering and storyline around some of that um, brought in a group of people to kind of crash on that story. Okay. Was there any um, uh, talk about starting that anytime earlier, like getting uh, kind of the comics and the, the, the toys uh, kind of to mesh a little earlier? Uh, there definitely was from the IP side. Um, we didn't need it as much. You know, if you think about movie one, two and three, they came out so fast. Animated was in there. Mm-hmm. Um, generations kept going, but we still had so many G1 guys to do that, you know, it, we didn't kind of catch up to IDW 
uh, for a while. Right. Uh, and then the power of the Activision products probably knocked us upside the head and said, hey, we, all, we ha- also have these other areas we can exploit um, that we don't currently touch, like the comics, um, stuff like that. Um, so I think that was all just, it just came when the time came. Okay. Uh, Jeremy, you have a question. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering, I think Drift was probably one of the first col- collaborations in terms of the figures between Hasbro and IDW. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that came about? Yeah. My recollection is, uh, you know, they, they wanted their, their stated goals. Like we want to create a new character. Um, they had a story need and all that. Um, my attitude as part of the team that oversaw that stuff was, you know, any of our partners that need to make new or interesting stuff to enhance the characters we already have, then that's great. Um, cause ultimately it all ends up being Hasbro's, but, um, uh, drift. We, I remember we went back and forth on some of the designs, um, at different times. I, some of them have been in some of the trade paperbacks at different times. He had different, you know, symbols or symbols at different places. Um, you know, he always looked like a really interesting Gundam robot to me. Yeah. I can uh, see um, that. You know, he looks, he looks a bit different, but I, I always like the outlier guys. I don't mind that there's a kind of a, slick robot in the mix um but i just remember a couple back and forths and a couple you know check-ins kind of thing but uh that's all i can recall and then we just we we, you know it's an interesting concept so we we definitely responded to that one early you know really cool red and white sports car with a sword you know we that we couldn't steer steer clear of that cool Mm -hmm. that was a good question jeremy um now, we recently started a petition to generate interest for getting IDW to create a new classic comic set in the G1 cartoon universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea is uh, similar to the Regeneration 1 comic uh, that continued the old uh, Transformers Marvel comics and uh, just finished up earlier this year. Yep. Uh, it was uh, also helped to get started uh, by a fan petition. Um were you involved at all in uh, improving IDW's uh, Regeneration 1? Uh, I, I was. I will also say that I was the reason it didn't get made probably three years prior. Okay. Um, it wasn't until it just got to a point where, you know, they that it, it just, okay, we're not going to confuse anybody that it made sense again. But um, for a while, it just didn't make sense. Uh, we were focused on the new, not the old. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that at least capped off that story. I don't know how it capped it off completely, but I uh, hope it was satisfactory. I think a cartoon version of that would be great because going through all those South Factory DVDs, you know, season three gets a little squirrely. Season four, even more. Yeah, ours is it's um, interesting to kind of bridge some of that stuff and explain a little bit better and all of all of that um, or whatever. Yeah, we, we were kind of like you know you have all these characters that just show up in the animated movie where do they come from what's their backstory yeah just just the creation of that autobot city uh, right could be <laughs> the whole thing mm-hmm. yeah we, we were also wondering if the how much if any the fan petition for regeneration 1 influenced any of the decisions to make it cuz I think we're we're kind of we're pretty much outsiders. We're so we're trying to generate interest, but we don't know 
if this will, you know, if we get enough signatures, if this will be something that will, that IDW or Hasbro will look at. You know, I, I don't know. I think, I think what it serves to do is, is to make sure that we look at it. Cause it's like, Oh, these guys are really passionate about whatever X. Well, why? Okay. What is that? Oh, we could do that. You know, uh, it rarely has the idea of, well, this has so much support. We have to do it, you know, because right. you would, you would need a million people to make that make sense. Right. Um, but what it does do is give us a, uh, not unlike the boards or our discussions at conventions, it gave us a barometer of where people are at. Okay. There's a lot of people who are unsatisfied with the lack of story in this area. What, what could we do? You know, cool. Um, well, well, can can we ask you to sign our petition? <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> we'll we'll send it over. All right. Nice plug, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> Every little bit helps. <laughs> uh, now I got a f- couple closing questions here, and then uh, then we'll be all done. Um, you've been part of the Transformers uh, of Transformers for a while. How has it changed in the last 10 years? Um, that's a good question. Um, you know, I've, I've, after I left Hasbro, I, I've, I've come to grips with some interesting facts about myself and what would I do next? And, you know, what have I contributed uh, artistically? And, you know, I was fortunate to be part of a brand that I, I grew up with and got to be on it for about 13 years, give or take. Um, during its 30th anniversary. So I was on it almost half its life or interested in it, whether I was a kid and then worked on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I realized that that's a special place to be. Um, Cause it, it definitely makes me feel like I've left a good, good bit of, I, I've done a good bit of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I don't know where I was going with that, but uh, <laughs> what's how, how, how has it changed? Yeah. So how's it changed for me? It's, it's changed. Um, you know, beast wars were very pure. Um, the toy industry was a little more fun. Uh, you could get away with some wackier things. Um, it's become business now. Um, you know, the same conglomerates that control the entertainment TV and movies, you know, they kind of control the direction of products. Um, so there's, you have to, you know, everything's so serious and business related now. So that's taken some of the fun out of doing toys. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the products themselves then are servicing those entertainments, good or bad. Um, not so much the kid at the end of the line. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I'm sad by that as a, as a toy creator. Um, you know, I think Transformers is always, I mean, if you look at, year one they had all that great bm and die cast and rubber tires and everything else and then you know by the end of that year they were already starting to get plastic transformers because they couldn't keep up with all that die cast Mm -hmm. um you know so you've always seen changes in technology and size and and all of that um and that'll continue um i think right now you're seeing a lot of hands-on and customizable ideas um you know like the build building transformers and stuff um, so, you know, it's a, it's a very pliable concept because there's always two in one. So you can yeah. try to do a lot of different things with that, that, that construct, um, whether that's good or bad, but you can try. 
Um, so I think you always have that ability. Uh, that's what I liked about Transformers. It was very tactile and you, you could actually make things um, versus it just being a avatar of that guy in that costume from that scene. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that inherently is in the brand and in any of the products that get made, if they choose to do that, um, you know, if they rely on just the story and, and all and that kind of thing, you know, who knows, who knows mm-hmm. what happens then. Because then you're competing with every other story. Yeah. Not just your unique toy proposition. Now, you may have touched on this when we were talking about 3D printing, but uh, where do you see uh, Transformers heading? Um, you know, I don't know if it's fair for me to say um, between what I might know or what I want to hope to know. or we'll be You can be generic or broad. I, I think... You know, I think they all have their ebbs and flows. I mean, Transformers has been able to survive for 30 years because it it changes. Um, so I think it's time to probably change the the overall visual dynamic. I've said this at cons. You know, if it they think they need to go back to animals or or something that just gives everybody a break from yellow cars and red trucks. Yeah, but that's probably a scary scary proposition when you've built what you've built around red trucks and yellow cars. Yeah, it's true. Um, so I, I hope they can figure that out. Um, but I, you know, I'd like to think that it's time for a stylistic change again. And, you know, um, smart people on that brand, I'm sure they'll come up with some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, recently we've, we've seen a collection of toys come for sale from the estate of a former Hasbro employee. Um, yep. Some of which include, the uh, unreleased G2 Menasaur that uh, people, you know, in the fandom didn't even believe existed. Um, prototypes of some classic Beast Wars toys and uh, an amazing collection of se- sealed G1 figures. If uh, if someone were to come over to your place, what amazing toys would they see in your collection? <laughs> um, I got some lucky draw figures. Um, which people seem pretty cool about. Um, you know, I, 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 that's a good question. Well, what do I have? Um, you got some prototypes? No, no. Hasbro is very um, tight about all that stuff. So um, that's not the type of thing we would get. Most of the cooler things I got were probably from Takara, whether okay. it was Lucky Draw or store exclusive, you know, one day kind of things, the Black mm-hmm. Corvette or you know, gold, gold jazz, stuff like that. Um, you know, my pride was just in the products we made, not so much the rarity of them. Um, mm-hmm. So probably the value wise or interest wise, you know, things that people don't see a lot of, probably the lucky draws, stuff like that. All the weird mini cons. <laughs> that's cool. Wish I had a better answer. No, no, that's good. I, I, I personally I movie book signed by Michael Bay. I'm pretty proud of that. <laughs> I've personally never seen a lucky draw, so you know. Oh, I got three of them in the basement. <laughs> now, as I mentioned earlier, I, I met you this year at uh, TFCon, and I assume that you've been to many conventions over the years. And I know you've got at least one more uh, convention planned this year, and that's uh, TFCon Chicago. Yep. Uh, do you have a greatest convention story ever? Uh, you know, I I got I got. You know, I, I was the con guy for Hasbro for quite a number of years, whether it was Comic-Con or uh, I did the first Comic-Con booth for Hasbro cool. um, or the bot cons and Chicago cons and everything else we used to do. 
Um, con stories. I have a pretty, you know, crazy night in San Diego one year where may have started some construction equipment in a you know, <laughs> designated area to where they were making the new stadium and, uh, you know, may or may not have had one too many, but, uh, <laughs> no harm, no foul in the end. Um, exactly, right? mistook them for constructed con. Yeah, that's right. I was fighting somebody else. Um, you know, so things like that, you know, but, uh, that's awesome. You know, hanging out with, uh, weird Al and Tyrese and stuff. Having Tyrese send me flowers at work was probably, <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, probably the, you know, that was a fun, that's a funny one. That's was cool. he as excited about working in the Transformers movies as it came off? You know, uh, I, I got, I was fortunate to kind of, of all the people that worked on the films other than, Michael Bay and the art department guys. Um, I probably worked with Michael the most, but then after that, um, I spent through, through various botcon appearances or toy fair appearances or promotional for the film appearances. Um, I got to spend a lot of time with Tyrese at different points. And, uh, you know, we, we, we would chat every once in a while and he, he called me the artist guy. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he was a funny guy, and he was he was very sincere. He he he, t- he has a lot of passion for whatever it is he's going to do, and uh, yeah, he, he was genuinely excited about going to those things and, and, and engaging with the people um, that that were passionate about it. Yeah, I just remember at, at the Botcon, I think twenty eleven in Pasadena. Yeah, when he came out onto that stage, he he just seemed to be having a blast. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's, he's a legit dude, and, uh, you know, I appreciated that because, you know, everybody in L.A. is not always like that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, hanging out with Weird Al was surreal and cool, um, you know, and, not, uh, you know, Peter Collin as a prince, um, you know, I'll, I'll always cherish the time hanging out with him. Awesome. That's cool. Well, you, you met Daryl at TFCon Toronto, and... <laughs> Hopefully yeah. you'll get to meet me and Jeremy at TFCon Chicago. We're both going out there. All right. So may- there. maybe your greatest convention story ever is in the near future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I might have met you in passing at the BotCon in Dallas. Uh, I think it was you that gave me a couple of the pieces of the Hasbro booth, uh-huh. like two faction symbol panels. But there you it go. was just kind of like, um, who wants these? And I think I grabbed them. There you go. <laughs> was the best part about con <laughs> yeah so what what's next for you now that you're uh no longer at hasbro well i'm free i'm rehabilitated uh <laughs> I'm, I'm allowed to go out into the wild again um no i i've spent the last year kind of having a little adventure of our own um moved to north carolina for a little bit opened up a little art store and for various reasons we moved back to rhode island um to have another child so i've been focused more in the last uh, six months on freelance and doing my own projects that I hope to have on Kickstarter early next year, publishing projects. And, uh, you know, I've been doing different freelance for animation companies and Hasbro and different people. And uh, I uh, left to kind of pursue more of my art and my vision for my own stuff um you know as a vp at hasbro i didn't get a lot of time to be as creative as i wanted to be and after long enough timeline i was ready for a change so uh i've been doing that been drawing and getting better and kind of doing that yeah that's awesome all right 
And congratulations on the Yes, case. very much. Good good job. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> really <laughs> The guys don't get enough congratulations, you know? <laughs> exactly. Maybe We're we don't really deserve it, Daryl. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> We're gonna start another petition. <laughs> All right, it's it's time for rapid fire. Okay. All right, these are just quick Charles calls them binary. They're they're easy yes or no questions, uh, or pick one or the other. Um, <laughs> I guess that's what binary is, isn't it? Um, okay, so Autobot or Decepticon? Decepticon. Transformers, uh, Michael Bay movies, one, two, three, or four? One. Okay. Megan Fox, Rosie Huntington-Wheatley, or Nicola Peltz? She's the girl uh, in the fourth uh, None really. All right. Oh, I forgot to ask. What's your who's your favorite Decepticon? Uh, Shockwave. Mm, that's a good one. Cause, uh, it's because of that damn cover of issue five. That's a good one. That's that, a, yeah. That's it's awesome. A good cover. It's totally because of that. It, it's not because of the toy. <laughs> <laughs> it's because all are dead. Yeah. <laughs> I'd kill for that painting. Oh yeah, yeah. Who would have that? I don't know. Somebody has it. <laughs> I mean, Hasbro must have you know high quality version. They should they could put out posters of it. Probably. Yeah. I didn't think of that. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the uh, IDW comics more than meets the eye or robots in disguise. Uh, robots in disguise. Okay. I, I might know the answer to this one. Third-party toys, yes or no? No. Okay. <laughs> Cats or dogs? Cats. Coffee or tea? Tea. Chicken or steak? Ooh. Steak. Pepsi or Coke? Coke. Burger King or McDonald's? <sighs> McDonald's. History or science? History. Xbox or PlayStation? PlayStation. Call of Duty or Battlefield? Neither. Okay. Peace. NA. NA. <laughs> yeah. I've never played either. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, PC or Mac? Mac. iPhone or Android? Android. And is there a phone app that you cannot live without? Uh, my wife would tell you uh, Flipboard. Which, if, I, if I say anything else other than that, I'm going to be in trouble. Okay, <laughs> I'll have to flip, or I'll have to find out what Flip is. It, it Flipboard is like a, a news, yeah, it's a aggregator. Oh, okay, which I constantly am flipping through. <laughs> uh, Marvel or DC? Marvel. And who is your favorite Marvel character? Spider Man. Okay, uh, Stallone or Schwarzenegger? Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson or Angelina Jolie? Uh, Scarlett Johansson. Twilight or Hunger Games? NA. <laughs> I'm old. That's I'm acceptable. Old. Uh, Pixar or DreamWorks? Pixar. Star Wars or Star Trek? Wars. <laughs> the Simpsons or Family Guy? NA. <laughs> Walking Dead or Game of Thrones? Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, man. Game of Thrones. NFL? MLB, NHL, or NBA? BPL. What's that? British Premier League. 
Oh, my no. goodness. <laughs> At least it wasn't hockey. <laughs> Everyone has been choosing hockey. Because it's so good. Uh, Porsche, Ferrari, or Lamborghini? Oh, Porsche. And last one, blonde, brunette, or redhead? <laughs> uh, brunette. Oh. <laughs> it's the wife within earshot? She's brunette. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well done. Thank you very much. Is there any place on uh, social media that uh, people can find you at? Um, the Archer Monster at Deviant Art, and uh, it's Archer Monster on Tumblr. Oh. Or no, it's Aaron Archer Art on Tumblr, and Archer Monster on Twitter. But okay, I'm so old I don't really know the d- direct details of that stuff. <laughs> uh, do you have a website or anything like that other than Deviant Art that you would want to uh, promote? And not up and running at the moment. Okay. Very good. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you very much for uh, for answering some of our questions tonight. All right. No problem. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And uh, let me know if you need me for anything else. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Definitely stop by and say hello in uh, Chicago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I got to got to get my MPO one <laughs> to get you to sign it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what the hell. <laughs> yeah, I got Peter Cullen to sign the box of mine at the 2004 BotCon. There you go. Maybe I can get you to sign it. All right. Well, we again, we want to give a really big thanks to Aaron Archer for joining us on, on our show and, and letting us pick his brain on the you know 13 or so years uh, you've been doing uh, Transformers. And we really appreciate all the hard work you've done in, in making – Transformers what it is today. So we're we're really happy that we got to talk to you about that. I appreciate that. It's a good time and uh just uh I'd like to as I always do, I kinda end with these things saying, you know, it wasn't just me, it was always a big team, so make sure you seek those guys out too. Um whenever you can. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, so I think that'll wrap up this episode of Transmissions. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh again, if uh, as we mentioned in the show, please go sign our petition to Bring back the G1 uh, cartoon as a comic book. If you're interested in that, I think it's it's something that will be a something that can go alongside all the all the current excellent stuff that IDW is putting out. So we really want to bring something back that's classic, but not replace anything. So if there if there's any fears about that, just to let you know, let everyone know we we love the stuff that IDW is doing now, but we want to we just want to add to it. Uh, also, if you like the show that we're doing, please, uh, give us feedback, uh, you know, give us ratings on iTunes and Stitcher. We always love uh, hearing from listeners and let us know if we're doing a good job and if there's anything that you'd like to see us doing different. So thanks again for listening and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye everybody. Don't forget, if you want to buy, sell, or learn about Transformer toys, you can support Transmissions by visiting www.transformerland.com. Thanks for picking up our transmission. Give us feedback on our website at www.transmissionspodcast.com where you can find all of our contact info on social media and links to all of our show notes discussed in each episode. You can also email us directly at feedback at transmissionspodcast.com.